From jet engines to space rockets, telephones to computers, the world has seen spectacular change in the last hundred years, and the pace of progress is getting faster and faster. From electric cars to the metaverse, drone deliveries to climate solutions and genetic sequencing, we're investing in the companies that are not just changing the world today, but are also shaping the future. The Scottish Mortgage Investment Trust, managed by Bailey Gifford. Invest in progress. Capital at risk. Hi everyone and welcome back to The Advice Show. I'm Chloe, a reporter at New Model Advisor. And I'm Zach, also a reporter at NMA. And today we are talking about the use of blockchain technology in wealth and asset management. Um, and to talk about this, Zach and I are joined today by Alex Cowan-San Lewis, CEO of Platform One, to chat about how this technology can add value to the industry and to consumers and which hurdles it faces before it is widely adopted. So Alex, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, how are you doing? Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Great to be here. Uh, yeah, I'm doing very well, thank you. Very excited to talk about this. It's new and exciting and I think it's got a lot of fun things to to do in this industry so let's let's uh, yeah, let's have a chat sure just to kick things off um i just wanted to know you know how uh just give us an overview if you will of how blockchain technology is currently being leveraged in the world of asset management and platforms and you know who's embraced it who are the key players here well it's a good question Zach. i think it's very early days for me to be able to answer how much it's being applied and who's using it what i will say is that, I mean, in short, I don't think the platform market, certainly not from my perspective, is using it really at all. I think in the asset management industry, there are explorations into how it can be applied to some of the underlying mechanisms which they operate. And I think it's really, really important to distinguish first off between kind of two sides to this. Um, one, from an asset management perspective, is the investment side, right? The speculative element of cryptocurrencies, which is really a function of blockchain. Um, but I, there are many functions of blockchain, and I think one of the neat applications of it is a more of the operational elements that affect the asset management industry as a whole, the wealth management industry, platforms, and frankly, the whole financial services infrastructure. And there is a lot of investment into that right now. Where you will see that investment is not in the platform space. It's not even necessarily in the wealth or asset management space, but it's at the higher banking level. Uh, and indeed, you will see pretty much any big name you can mention now of any large investment or retail bank globally has started to invest a lot of capital into this technology. And there was a wonderful slide that was released last year that had all the logos of the US banks down the left hand side. And on the right hand side, it showed all of the businesses they were buying or investing in when it came to blockchain technology. And it is enormous. They are spending a fortune. Uh, so it's clearly moving. And uh, as always, these things tend to trickle down from the really big organizations to the slightly smaller ones. And, the, and it will come our way. And yeah, you know, talking about my investment, just I guess I just want to ask uh, why you think that's happening. Um, you know, how does how does blockchain technology improve efficiency exactly and improve transparency? Well, I think there's some really basic reasons why the digitization of currency, fiat currency, but also ultimately other asset classes is going to be so popular. And some of those are really simple, just around efficiencies, uh, you know, um, higher sec grade security, uh, better monitoring of the transaction chain. So you can see and audit the underlying ledger of what's happening in, in any transaction. Um, there will be 
potentially a reduction in net transaction costs. Uh, people never speak about this part, for example. It's indeed why a lot of central banks are moving towards central bank and digital currencies, because you can re you can remove certain intermediaries in that chain. You can reduce cost. And ultimately, that is beneficial both to the wholesale market by banks and institutions and also retail. All those individuals out there like you and me um, who want to get involved and be involved in the financial infrastructure of the country. So reducing that transaction cost is interesting. I do think there's an area that is very rarely spoken about, uh, which could be quite impactful, I think is really interesting for the advisory community as well, which is financial inclusion. Uh, that's one that's always spoken about in the advisory community, right? This advice gap. How do we get people more involved in advice? But there's, there's another level down from advice, which is just inclusion in general into financial services. You know, the, what they call the unbanked or the underbanked, right? Uh, access to cash, uh, which is actually a huge issue in the UK at the moment, particularly in rural communities, right? Is there even an ATM? Um, and so I think in the modern world, particularly for younger generations now, access to a digital financial economy and environment is actually easier. So financial inclusion is a potential benefit of this too. So there's lots of different reasons why this is happening. And I think sometimes people make it sound very complex or really new age in terms of technology and that can put people off. There's a lot of buzzwords, but when it comes down to it, like any new tech that gets applied, there's just some basic good old advantages in terms of cost and access. And that's really what it's about. Right. And so you mentioned that, you know, big asset managers, big banks are really kind of embracing that technology, investing in it. And you said also that platforms are not really doing that um, at the moment. Um, you know, where do you see the areas of platforms where blockchain could actually improve certain processes and aspects? Well, I think firstly, to just sort of address the first point, the reason that the, you know, the advisor wrap platform market or even just the DTC platform market won't have embraced that entirely yet is because you need to have the core financial infrastructure set up on it first before you can apply your particular niche of financial services to it. Um, but that is happening and that, that will come. In terms of application to platforms, like everything, in this industry, it requires all players to, to get involved. And by all players, I mean all parts of the vertical chain. So the platforms, but also what we distribute as platforms, which is the underlying assets to those advisors and underlying consumers. So the fund managers, the fund administrators who administer those funds, everyone has to play their part. But there are some really key operational efficiencies that can be made. And I want to stress the point that this isn't, uh, you know, magic or anything wild it is simply making things happen which will have benefits for consumers and indeed their financial advisors and that's why it's so interesting to talk about this let me give you two really tangible examples that uh, i think are pain points and i'm sure many advisors if they listen to this will attest to this too in specie re-registration from one custodian to another it's really difficult in this market at the moment right it's painful i don't think i need to labor that point everyone knows about it um, blockchain or the application of it to underlying fund administration could have a really significant positive impact on re-registration because you could in this sort of utopian world that we hope to re we achieve although i don't think it's a difficult utopia to achieve in this sense is instant re-reg and why shouldn't it be with 2023 why shouldn't you be able to click a button and send an asset from one custodian to another just like you do now with faster payments on your bank or anything like that. If I go on to my banking provider now and I decide to send either of you 20 quid, 
it's instant. If I go onto one of the challenger banks, it's even faster. I can do it from mobile to mobile. So why shouldn't you be able to do that with assets? So I think the application of blockchain to that is going to, uh, and revolutionize is a strong word, but I think it will revolutionize the transfer industry, Reretch, uh, both here in the UK and overseas. We are fairly good uh, compared to a lot of the European markets when it comes to re-registration. Um, but I already know that countries like Spain and Italy, and I'm sure many others, are, are investing a huge amount of time into doing that. Um, the other is um, settlement times, fund settlement times. Uh, again, I think it's pretty wild that in 2023, you still have T plus four. And, and again, advisors, listen, this will be able to attest to that. Why? Why, if you go and buy a fund, does it take four days to settle? That doesn't make any sense. It doesn't happen with equities. It doesn't happen with ETFs. Why should it happen with mutual funds and OICs and other funds of funds and so on? Now, there's a lot of work going into that space, but those two, in-species reg and fund settlement times, I think are really where the technology can have real world value for the underlying consumer. Right. And do you see a world in which blockchain technology would make those conventional, traditional platforms redundant? Or is it really about kind of enhancing what they already do? I think like everything, uh, people always look at new te technologies and start going redundancy. Uh, what's mm. going to happen to this industry? Is it going to get canned and a new one created? I, I, it very rarely happens that way. If we look back through history at any, any large technological leap, um, there have been some, of course. But actually what typically happens is, is, is any sort of decent business or decent success business tends to just enhance their current offering. They tend to move along with the times. Um, there are always winners and losers, clearly. Um, but I actually see this as an enhancement to the platform industry, not a negation of the platform industry. All businesses have to adapt and uh, it's easy to die as a business, even without novel technologies coming along, right? You just become yeah. uh, very uh, sort of uh, relaxed and apathetic in your ways and, and, and stuff starts moving to the smaller players or the more innovative players. Um, but I think it's really an add on to platforms. There will always be a place for platforms. They offer so much value above and beyond fund settlements. Uh, or, or in species re-reg, right? There's a reason advisors use platforms and it's not because of those back-end processes. Um, and it's because of the holistic view it provides to their clients. It's about the economies of scale. It's access to underlying products. It's, um, it, it, in many cases, it's integration with other tools. So those will continue to exist. I actually think the interesting part, and I think if the advisory community look at this, it's, it's more indirect for them than it is direct. Right? This isn't going to be a direct change to how you operate with the platform. It's just going to indirectly affect you in a positive way because of the back end gubbins, the kind of pipework of what we do under the hood will change and make things more efficient. But no different to open banking coming into play or the digitization of any process like e-signatures that happens. And uh, of course, COVID helped push that forward a bit more for some institutions. But it's the same application, really. That's all it is at the end of the day. And um, you touched on this earlier with re-registration, but I just wanted to ask if you could elaborate on why advice firms specifically, how they could make use of blockchain technology. And also um, you touched on, you know, the fact that it isn't magic. It isn't, you know, some kind of um, ethereal new tech. It's actually the same logics that applies with any new tech. Um, could you sort of tell us how you demystify that for advice firms? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, the first thing to say is I'm, I'm not sure how many people are aware of this, but you know uh, the underlying technology that has been relabeled as blockchain, by the way, uh, has been around since the early 90s. And uh, it was actually developed before most search engines. So it's quite old school. It's been around for a long time. What's happened is that the use case for it 
has become much more prevalent and obvious as industries have moved forward technology. And we spoke a little bit earlier about how, you know, I mentioned about how you kind of need the financial system to take it on centrally before things like platforms and other parts of the industry can take it on. It was the same concept with blockchain. It was kind of useless until people adopted the internet, you know, until people got uh, used to using computers and having a PC on their desk, right? So you needed an adoption of uh, arguably more basic technologies first before you could implement blockchain. Um, it really is just a much more secure, immutable way of making transactions happen. That's all it is. You know, people talk about smart contracts, and it all sounds very fancy because they use the word smart in it. It's just a contract. And like in any contract, let's say you've got a buyer and a seller, and they have things that they agree on between them. The only difference with a smart contract is that you've pre-written, pre-defined those rules into code instead of into a piece of paper or into Microsoft Word or whatever it is. And it self-executes. So it self-executes on a predefined set of conditions. Um, and that has lots of advantages of, of things happening more efficiently and also having a, a, a better sense of transparency and auditability around them. So I think that's, you know, that's, that's the really important thing to remember. It's, it's ultimately just making stuff more efficient. It's nothing wild and wacky. Now, the crypto side can be a bit wild and wacky because like in any any sort of investment class where you start becoming a bit more speculative uh that's where things get a little bit wilder but in the terms of the underlying technology it's very very simple at the end of the day now to answer your question zach about uh the application to advisory firms i think that's left to be seen to be honest i don't think advisory firms necessarily have to be too concerned yet about application in their own firms ultimately where this becomes useful is where it's integrated into the larger financial infrastructure that they tap into on behalf of their clients. That's where the advantage yeah. is. I have no, I have, I have no doubt there will be novel applications of it to an advisory firm, but at the end of the day, this is no different to them tapping into banking infrastructure or anything else. That's what it's about. Right, right. And so um, we kind of discussed where we are currently at with with the application of, of blockchain for platforms, for banks, for asset managers. Um, now, um, let's turn to kind of the obstacles that are facing the, the adoption of, of that new technology. Are the current kind of legacy providers trying to slow the adoption of blockchain in any way because they feel threatened by it? Do you, do you see that happening? I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that they're trying to slow it. I, I think that would be an, an unfair opinion at this point in time, mainly because it's still got quite a way to go to be adopted in the first place. I think any any sleepers on the track, if they were to come, would come later down the line. At this point, it's yeah. about understanding. It's about integration. Um, it's about having the resource, the people who know what they're talking about, to apply it. Um, it's obviously an industry that, despite having been invented a long time ago, has only really come to the fore recently. There's been an explosion in it. Uh, and I think firms are just getting their heads around it. I think aside from getting their heads around it, too, there's a prioritization for any company. Um, is it something that we need now or is it tomorrow or is it the day after tomorrow? And I think every firm will make their prioritization based on their needs. So there will be an element of that. And like with any new technology adoption, you will have, for argument's sake, 10, 20% to adopt it very early on. And then the lion's share will just catch up later because they'll be able to plug into third-party providers. They won't have to do it themselves. And that's smart. I mean, why, why would you spend capital and resource and effort on trying to internalize all of this technology if you could just use a great provider externally? 
Uh, and that's no different to any other part of the industry, right? Yeah, and I was wondering also um, about uh, possible stumbling blocks uh, for firms using this technology, um, specifically, you know, in terms of data privacy and also whether you think regulation will be able to keep up with the pace of this technology. Yeah, I mean, OK, so aside from sort of knowledge base and resource and capital and all that, in, in, in terms of uh, stumbling blocks, data privacy is always one that gets raised as a question mark. Uh, does blockchain technology make it better? or worse and you will hear arguments from both sides about this um, i think uh by almost definition um there is less opportunity to hide identity and be private because of what blockchain is it's fully transparent it's fully auditable and so for some who are a little bit more concerned about it particularly at a central government level not necessarily as much here in the UK, but certainly in other states around the world, they start to go, mm, does this suddenly mean that a government can monitor every single transaction I've ever made? However, my argument back to that is, well, they can probably do that now anyway, unless you're literally just you know, paying and making cash around the corner. But it's, which okay, still happens. But ultimately, I, I don't think that's going to change a huge amount. What it can do is, I think, bolster money laundering preventions quite significantly. Um, obviously, AML has become a huge issue for cryptocurrencies because people it's decentralized, people can change fiat into digital, start moving it around through sovereign wallets, all this kind of fun, crazy stuff, and they basically avoid detection. But I think once you go into the centralized financial system, it's going to make it easier uh, to track that. Um, in terms of regulations, Zach, you asked about regulation. I have to say, uh, you know, the FCA, and particularly here in the UK, have been pretty forward thinking when it comes to blockchain technology, central bank and digital currencies, cryptocurrencies, all of this. We've got, um, you know, the government is, is, is quite pushy on this in, in a sort of positive way. They want the UK to be uh, a leading market globally for this kind of technology and especially in the financial system. Uh, so the FCA are moving quite fast, I have to admit, for, especially for a regulator, right? And I say that in the nicest way. But, you know, they've got a lot on their plate and they've got to go and work with this. But it's even happening in Europe now. Um, you know, the Spanish regulator, the Italian regulator, they're all working very closely with private sector to try and see how this can be rolled out uh, across industry. Uh, not just central banks, but the private banking and wealth industry as well. I know Spain and Italy, for example, are moving as fast as they can to roll that out. And, um, you know, you mentioned earlier that um, any sort of data privacy concerns are pretty similar to all concerns that we already have uh, with banking information, etc. But how would you allay those fears that people may have about, you know, a big new technology coming in um, and operating in a different manner in terms of those concerns? Yeah, I think with any new technology, uh, proof is in the pudding a little bit. And I know that sounds a bit wishy-washy to say that, but it's quite hard to just sort of say that and say, it's not going to be a problem. You know, people have to see it in action uh, to believe it. And that was the same with the adoption of anything before from email through to the kind of chats that we use nowadays and so on. Um, there are security risks with any technology. There are security benefits to any technology. I think the security benefits are considerable uh, with the application of blockchain. There will always be risks to it, like with anything. Um, I think where people will have their concerns allayed is when some of the larger banking providers start using it in earnest. Um, and once it becomes a little bit more, 
uh, uh, dare I say it because of what the technology is, but centralized in a way, uh, and more people start using it, then you know, naturally uh, that will change. I think also it's, it's and, and, and again, I mean, it's a nice way, it's also a generational thing. Like, you know, all new technologies tend to get adopted by younger generations. Um, for generations even younger than me now, um, uh, it, it's they're used to a digital world. They're used to engaging and interacting with all service providers digitally. So it makes sense for them uh, to use infrastructure that's built on, on new technology. Um, and I think that adoption will just come naturally. And do you think that um, people kind of conflating crypto and blockchain and thinking those are kind of one and the same has had some kind of reputational impact as well on, on blockchain generally? Definitely, without a shadow of a doubt. I mean, and, and again, I'll, I'll stress, crypto is not blockchain, blockchain is not crypto. Crypto is a function of, it is a result of blockchain, yeah. uh, but there are many functions of blockchain. Um, and so, but it's, it's definitely had, I think, a, a, a damaging effect on it as a term, as industry people get a bit scared by it, quite rightly so, um, because they're associating, you know, speculative investment choices with an underlying technology. Um, so that has had an impact for sure. And so that would be a challenge to, to consider as well for the, the, the adoption of it. Yeah, it, I think that that's right. It would be a challenge. And uh, with any challenge like that, it's about education and, mm. and about showing people what it is and what it isn't. Um, you know, and even even for, for cryptocurrencies, uh, I think there's a naturally as there would be in countries like the UK and the United States and in general Western Europe, there'd be a lot of focus on on one application of those currencies or one of those, which is the investment application of them. Right. You know, is, is there an alpha, a return on it? But even that is only a portion of what cryptocurrency is. Um, so there's, there's there's a lot you can go into here. Um, and I do think. With government adoption, central banking adoption, large banking adoption, all this kind of stuff, um, that education will start to happen and people will hopefully try and split the two apart. And um, following on from that, just sort of looking forward to the next 10 years, I appreciate, you know, you said earlier about um, once this technology is laid into the infrastructure um, of our banking systems and basically our, our sort of public systems as well. Um, then the opportunities sort of become a little bit of an unknown because it's not currently at the moment. Um, but given I said that, um, where do you see this technology shaping wealth management in the next sort of five, 10 years? I think it will allow wealth management to do two things, which are two things as old as the hills, uh, which is one to become faster and more operationally efficient, uh, which is better for, for everyone involved, right down to the consumer and to become cheaper if it needs to be, yeah. because you don't have that operational expenditure and cost that comes with traditional technologies. So I, I, I think I could probably confidently say that both those things will happen in five to 10 years with the use of this technology. What more innovative applications happen, I don't know yet. Um, there are obviously lots of other technologies out there that might be applied to the wealth management sector. And people talk about uh, you know, AI, for example, machine learning, all the applications, these kind of things, but uh, which which might have a more impactful um, benefit to asset management in the more traditional sense of how they actually manage assets and make investment decisions and get returns for clients. But I think blockchain is not about that. Blockchain is that underlying operational efficiency. And I sound like a sort of broken record, but that's kind of what it's about. It's that underlying efficiency, which just allows any business to be more efficient and slicker and hopefully cheaper for clients too. 
So who do you see as emerging as kind of the winners and losers of this process? I'm guessing that it'd be great if the winners were consumers, but who do you see as kind of emerging um, as, as the winners of that? Well, um, yes, it would be great if consumers were the underlying uh, winners. That I think consumers will be uh, in, in many different ways because this technology will get applied across the entire financial infrastructure and economy. Um, so, you know, I spoke about financial inclusion and access to, to digital cash um, and lots of other different areas. Um, in terms of winners, if done right, it can be a winner for every commercial organization too. Um, because, of course, cheaper costs can mean greater margin. Um, and, of course, it's up to them uh, whether they pass some of that margin on to the underlying consumer or not. I can't speak for every uh, future company there. But certainly commercially, there's a benefit to to, to corporates by t adopting this technology. Right. And what about potential losers, the people that don't adopt it then? Yeah, I think I said before, you know, the winners lose in every organisation. Um, you know, Technology tends not to be a huge step change. It does tend to get rolled out over time. You also get sort of booms and busts in tech, right? We all remember, uh, well, I say we all remember, but uh, everyone knows about the, the end of the 90s and what happened with internet and, of course, did a reset. And what you, happen, what, what you do get a lot with technology is you get a lot of excited parties coming to it, creating applications out of it, taking it to market. Not all of them are great concepts. Some of them fall apart. And you usually have this... Uh, regression to the core value of the technology and creating something that's really useful. And that's an important process to go through because it's hard to know where that core is until you've had this kind of explosion of tech. Um, that will settle over the next 5, 10, 15 year period. I don't think it will be much longer than that, mainly because if you look at the US banks, um, many of them have, have committed to tokenizing most real assets you know, by the end of this decade. So it is going to move quite fast in the grand scheme of things. And, uh, you know, there will be some parties who get left behind and uh, will be losers. Yeah, well, we'll reconvene in 2033 to see, <laughs> uh, to see what's happened. Yeah, but quite. In the, meantime, <laughs> in the meantime, thanks so much, Alex, for, um, for being here, for um, chatting about blockchain with us. It was um, really insightful. Um, so if um, listeners want to get in touch with us about this episode, um, they can uh, reach out on Twitter at New Model Advisor or reach out directly to either Zach or me. Um, but thank you so much, Alex, again, for um, being here. And thank you, everybody, for listening. No, thank you. And I look forward to all my predictions being wrong in 2033. So uh, <laughs> thank you, guys, uh, for taking the time. Uh, have a wonderful day. Thank you so much, Alex. Thank okay. you. Cheers, guys. From jet engines to space rockets, telephones to computers, the world has seen spectacular change in the last hundred years, and the pace of progress is getting faster and faster. From electric cars to the metaverse, drone deliveries to climate solutions and genetic sequencing, we're investing in the companies that are not just changing the world today, but are also shaping the future. The Scottish Mortgage Investment Trust, managed by Bailey Gifford. Invest in progress. Capital at risk.